You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, at the end of the day, football is football. All Patriots, all, all the time. Ooh, that's spicy. All Patriots, all, all the time. Welcome to, 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 to First and Foxborough. Ladies and gentlemen, Foxborough football fans, we are back post-week two Victory Tuesday. I, I like I like the I like the feeling of that a lot more than what happened uh, during Week One. And this week, I am joined by the great Evan Lazar, uh, now of Patriots.com. Before I was chatting with him of CLNS Media. Uh, for for those of you who caught the first time that I had him on, but you know because of audio mishaps, I wasn't able to get him on properly. But now we got it. I hope, Evan. How you doing? I'm doing well, Kyrie. How are you doing? Doing all right. Like I said, just trying to get used to the new digs here. Um, you know, banished to the basement, a uh, little <laughs> office down here uh, while my wife's having a meeting upstairs because she gets the prime real estate. But you know what? It's all good, man, because we're here to talk yeah. about some football and we're here to talk about a Patriots win. They even it back up at one and at a one and one and they beat a Pittsburgh Steelers team that, you know, is tough defense. But personally, I had that one penciled in for, as a win for the Patriots ever since I knew who was likely going to be starting the, you know, the game for the Steelers at quarterback, being Mitchell Trubisky. Too much personal experience there as a former Chicago guy. What was your impression of what the Patriots did? Well, I think on defense, you kind of hinted at it right there. They still have a level of execution, I guess is the best word for it, where they're not going to lose too many games to Mitchell Trubisky, right? Like if you're playing the Mitchell Trubisky's of the world with Bill Belichick scheming things on defense and Gerard Mayo and Steve running the show on the sideline, they have enough coaching on that side of the football, obviously, with the greatest defensive mind in the history of football, arguably on their staff and the head coach, that they're going to be able to hold it together defensively against a guy like Mitchell Trubisky. So I think on the one hand, that's a very, very good thing because let's face it, not every quarterback that they face every single week is going to be Lamar Jackson or Aaron Rodgers in yeah. two weeks in Green Bay. So you're going to get some Jared Goffs. You're going to get some Jacoby Brissett. You're going to get some other guys that are not as talented or not 
as capable throwing the football as let's say the guy that they're facing this week or in two weeks in Aaron Rodgers. So I think that that's number one on the list is these types of games, they're going to have a really, really good chance of winning just because of Bill Belichick and because of what they're able to do on the defensive side of the ball. And I think there's enough talent there. It's not the 18 or 19 secondary. It's not Stephon Gilmore and JC Jackson, but I think there's enough talent on that side of the ball with the coaching that, you probably backdoor into seven wins, right? Like just with that group and and with that coaching on that side. In terms of adjustments, I thought it was interesting because they didn't run a ton of play action again still. And I think it's something they got to be able to embrace. And and maybe maybe they're just saving it for later. They don't want to show all their cards too early, you know, try, trying to be tricky about it. But But I think one thing I did notice, they started off more drives on first down with passes. And they started off, you know, even when they moved the chains, they, they would pass a little bit more on early downs. And that was something that I feel like a lot of us noted. They were so conservative and so run heavy on, on early downs last week. It wasn't necessarily Buffalo Bills-esque where they were really, really leaning into passing all the time. But still, it was an adjustment. And the play that stood out to me was that play action they started off a drive with where they hit. Nelson Aguilar for for 21 yards right out the gate get you an explosive play speaking of which that guy earned his paycheck I mean that was the kind of performance that I think people were like maybe not expecting but like hey if you're gonna pay a guy nine ten million dollars a year to come play receiver for you you want to see that and we finally saw it and in particular there was that play, the, the the touchdown. I won't it harkened back to me to a play that he had in joint practices against the Carolina Panthers, where Mac Jones floats it in the end zone. There are three defenders there. I no way in, in hell am I thinking he's gonna catch that football. And he jumps up over everybody and does it anyway. Are we seeing a new version of Nelson Aguilar right now in, in these offensive adjustments they're doing? Well, I think and this is something I'm workshopping, so I'll, I'll give it to you here. I, I think what I see from the Patriots offense right now is that, and I know this is like, oh, well, duh, Evan, but it's an offense that is being crafted by defensive coaches. And it, yeah. it's so obvious. And I, I don't mean that as all negative. Like it doesn't necessarily be all bad things. But I think, what, oh, finally, thank God. Yes, I know, thank God. <laughs> oh, oh, God. All right, here we go. So I think what the biggest thing is, is what I looked at on Sunday was, uh, in, in my film review, I wrote about this, uh, their ability to beat man coverage. They played a lot of cover one, man-to-man against the Patriots on Sunday. A little bit of a tendency breaker for the Steelers, who are typically a pretty zone-heavy defense. But Brian Flores was over there. He said, these guys can't beat man. Trust me, they didn't do it too, for, in two games last year against us with Miami. Like, this is the way to beat the Patriots. And I think Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick said to themselves, over the years, when teams have beaten us, it's with crossers, it's with, you know, uh, over routes coming across the formation, it's with in-breakers like digs or slants or these quick little hitters that are attacking the leverage and really stressing that middle-of-the-field help. And when you've got on the tape for the Patriots on Sunday. And look, we've given the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball, Kari, a lot of heat. We've even done it at Patriots.com. Okay, so you know that they are have not coached well necessarily to start the season. This was a good game plan 
by Matt Patricia and that staff. They ran Nelson Aguilar on crossing routes and vertical routes against man coverage. He ran 11 routes out of the slot. So they were moving him around and they were trying to give him opportunities to just use that speed against man. And it worked. It, It really did work. And I look at the game plan and the game that comes back to me when I'm watching it is the Isaiah McKenzie game last year where all they're doing is taking single high man to man and they're running crossing routes every which way against it. And they're just forcing these Patriot defenders, poor miles Bryant to just run with guys that run four threes across the formation and Josh Allen's just hitting them, right? He's just continuously beating the same drum. And the Patriots did the same thing against the Steelers cover one structures and it worked. And that I think is a really positive thing. And I I asked Aguilar about it after the game and he gave a really good answer about how important it is for the Patriots to show teams that they can beat man coverage because now you have to play zone or you have to take a guy out of the box and you can't load the box with single high and have the extra defender inside. If you do that, you know, maybe you run the ball a little bit more effectively. And he's sort of pointed to the success of the run game had in the second half. And especially on that final drive and said, well, look, you know, we started to attack man to man. We were giving them problems in their man to man structures. They started playing more too high. They started playing more zone. And here comes Damian Harrison or Mondre Stevenson down your throat when you do that. So it wasn't, look, it wasn't 07 Patriots. It wasn't like, you know, they were putting up 40 points against man-to-man coverage or something like that. But just putting up eight yards per attempt and almost 100 passer rating for Mac Jones is enough to show other teams on film. Like, hey, if you're going to just single cover all of our receivers, we're going to find ways to get guys open. And I think Aguilar is the perfect example of that because of his speed and because of his ability to run through defense. I think he's the type of guy that can really feast on those situations like he did on Sunday. And look, Jacoby had almost 100 receiving yards too in this game, a lot of man again. So I, I think that there's a lot to like about that aspect of it. There's a lot of reverse engineering going on. Like Matt Patricia said to himself, for 10 years, I played a lot of man. This is what teams did against me. If they play a lot of man, we're just going to do the same exact thing that teams used to do. And I like that. Now, you mentioned the lack of play action. You mentioned the lack of just creativity, I think, on that side of the ball, too. They're dead last in motion at the snap. They're dead last in play action. And I think this is where it comes in where they're not offensive coaches, right? Like, they don't necessarily have that offensive mastermind, that, like, creative gene going yet. But they have that ability to know this is what the coverage is. This is what gives that coverage problems because it's what gave us problems when we were in this coverage. And here's how we're going to beat it. And they can go about it that way, which I think is interesting and not necessarily a negative for this coaching staff. So if they continue to plan like they did against the Steelers, that was a really, really good script that they had against Pittsburgh. If they continue to put that on tape and then maybe guys like Troy Brown, Nick Cayley, maybe they can help them with some of the other aspects of play action and motion and some of the other tricks of the trade of the offensive side of the ball. We There might be something to work with here with, with this offense. Like we were all over them in week one. It was bad, no doubt about it. But this week I thought that they really had a nice plan. And two weeks in a row, really, their run game script has worked. Two weeks in a row. I mean, I know Miami adjusted quickly in the first game, but – 
in both games, what they ran was actually successful, at least to start the game. So I think there's something to be working to work with here. And, and I think that's the most positive thing you can come away with. And I think that in regards to that, right, they might never be, you know, Matt Patricia, this whole play calling conglomerate thing that they're doing. They might never be Josh McDaniels level of offensive genius. Right. But what they showed you from week one to week two, in my mind, was that they could learn from mistakes. And yeah, that they, and that they could they could adapt, they could change, even if it's slow, right? The, the, the lack of motion, which is a thing that's like you would think that as defensive-minded coaches, you might want to do that more because it reveals coverage, right? It reveals yeah. if it's man or zone, right? So, so you that that's an easy indicator. So, yeah, may, maybe you're right. Maybe we do see more of that. But again, it, it was a positive sign that, and again, the Steelers are no pushover. Like, yeah, they don't have uh, you know TJ Watt out there, which would have been obviously you know potentially a game changer. But they still have good players up front, right? Cam Hayward's still there, right? And and, yeah. and Minka Fitzpatrick still there, right? But <laughs> <Okay>. but I <laughs> oh he was there. But yeah. I think that you know again the idea that you you did that against a, a good defense, a good team, a team that is going to be competitive right? That was a good sign. It wasn't you just doing it against the Texans or something like that and getting a cupcake game. Now, I do want to talk about, because we've been talking about receivers, I want to transition um, you know, towards Kendrick Bourne a little bit here. And the fact yeah. that he still wasn't playing a whole lot, but when he was, when he was getting targets, I mean, when, when he was on the field, Mac Jones was looking his way and you know made made some connections with him. Could have had a third one, but he sailed the throw a little bit out of a clean pocket, which yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. But okay, in in regards to Kendrick Bourne, I, I mean, yeah, there there are a number of personnel related things that that could be stymieing his playing time. But are they going to get this guy back on the field? Because I feel like this receiving core—we talked about it needing to be more than the sum of its parts. I feel like you can't have any of those parts out of the mix then. Yeah, I hear you. I, look, I, I think Kendrick Bourne's role last week was a little bit mirrored a little bit more than what we saw last year, right? In terms of usage, in terms of the routes he was running. I'm looking it up right now. So he was a 51.8% snap guy last year. And, and this last game, I think he played, what, 24 snaps? 24 uh, snaps, yeah. Yeah, so we're getting in there, right? It's a little bit more back to that 50-50. I, I know people want to see more Kendrick Bourne. But I think in the reality of the situation is he's really, to them, even last year, a, a passing game player. Like He's not yeah. necessarily somebody that you want to have out there on first down blocking at the point of attack. Like That's why they have J Jacoby. That's why they have little Jordan Humphrey. And, and I think to a degree, that's why they also like Devontae Parker's size and his ability to run block. And I know that that drives people crazy a little bit that are, are like me. I'll admit, like I'm in on in the analytics too. Like I love looking at the numbers and I, I love hearing people out that know more about it than I do. But I think a lot of people that know about the analytics and listen to those types of people are just – ripping their hair out that they're making so many concessions for the running game, right? Like we got to have little Jordan Humphrey and Devontae Parker and Jacoby Myers on first down, just because we want to like establish the run or have some old school mentality with running the football. But if you look at his usage last year, even under McDaniels, and you look at the way they use him on Sunday against Pittsburgh, he is a second and third down player to them in their offense. And he's mm -hmm. mainly a third down 
or like two minute guy. Like if they're in a two minute drill, I think Kendrick Bourne's going to be out there. If they're on third down, it's third and eight, then he's going to be out there. But when it's first and 10 from the 25, he's just not a base player to them. And I don't know if that's necessarily a wrong way of looking at it. Like I don't look at Kendrick Bourne on tape or a training camp practices or whatever and say, oh, this guy's a really, really good run blocker, right? Like I just don't necessarily see that out of him. And it's not a slight on him. It's just not his game. He's a finesse, you know, explosive, bursty, energetic receiver. And I think that they look at him that way as well. So if they want to use Kendra Bourne as like this super sub package type of player, when they go to true 11 with three wide receivers on the field and he's one of the three, I'm okay with that. I really am. And then the way that they used him in this game, uh, a lot of in-breakers, you know, he loves those dig routes. He's really good at running those routes, of, you know, the the deep ends or whatever you want to call them. And, and he ran a couple and caught a few balls, made a couple good uh, snags into tight coverage, you know, holding on to the football uh, with traffic around him and stuff like that. So I think that that's his game. And, uh, you know, hopefully down the line, once we just talked about the motion, that was a big part of his game last year too, was coming in motion at the snap and taking end rounds or jet sweeps. And he was, right. we developed into the the go-to guy in, in a respect on those types of carries. So maybe eventually when we get into that sort of stuff, uh, we'll see more of that out of Kendrick Bourne too. But I didn't really have a major issue. And I don't think he did either. Uh, quite frankly, talking to him after the game, he seemed pretty happy and and excited about what had happened in the game, even for himself. I mean, obviously he was happy that they won, but it, it just in big picture about his role in particular, the guy that we talked to on Friday in the locker room, who yeah. was just not Kendrick Bourne. Like he just wasn't, he didn't have that smile, that energy. I mean, you know, him. he's, he's a really energetic, uh, personable type of guy. It wasn't that he was rude to us. He was just subdued. On yeah. Friday, and then we got to the game on Sunday in the post game locker room, and it was like old Kendrick Bourne, right? He was smiling, he was making jokes, he was, you know, excited uh, about the results of the game. So I, I think we're getting there with Kendrick. Yeah, and I mean, it was two catches for 16 yards, but you could see on those catches, he was like, "Yeah, here we go. They're looking yeah. for me. They put me on the field and getting my opportunities." He had, you know, a couple of third down conversion. Like, I mean, that was. And in, in the emotion that he showed, I think he was just like, yes, this is what we're talking about. And I think that the thing with, with Bourne, right, is you talk about not just the catch rate, but also the explosive play rate that he had. Like, that's the kind of thing yeah. this offense needs. It was nice to see it come from someplace else, though, with Nelson Aguilar. And, yeah. and to see that play happen the way that, that it did. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting, though, while we're talking about the receivers, let's get to the quarterback, because I think I feel a little bit less down than I did when I left that game on Sunday, when honestly, I I was looking at it and like, man, Mac Jones just isn't really doing it for me right now in in terms of it's like, yeah, you had had 252 passing yards and you completed 60 percent of his passes and and, and it wasn't wasn't a horrible game. Right. It's like not not at all. But it just it feels like everything is is a bit of a slog for him right now. Maybe not everything. but It feels like more things are a slog for him right now. And he's missing some throws he'd normally hit. I think he's trying some things that he probably wouldn't have tried last year and perhaps finding out like, okay, maybe that's not the kind of throw I should be attempting. Like the one down the middle of the field to Devontae Parker, where I was just like, 
Look, okay, in theory, sure, linebacker's back is turned. You might be able to hit that throw if you put it in the right spot, but he didn't, and it took off on him, and Minka Fitzpatrick picks it off. And maybe that's just something he needed to put on tape and see it happen that, okay, maybe I'm not going to attempt that throw again. So maybe, as I was thinking about it, okay, maybe this is what we were talking about. This is him testing himself in year two and and trying to make some of those 50-50 throws that he probably isn't doing last year where it was a little bit more safe. But there are also little things where um, I think, you know, so the, the delay of games or, or again, just like him not looking completely comfortable in the pocket at times, though you pointed out in a, in a nice little video that some of the subtle pocket moves that he was making, like, okay, there we go. That's what we want to see. The little subtle slides to the left and right, open up a new sight line for yourself. What, what's your take on what Mac Jones has done so far and where do you think that he's going to end up this year as hopefully he gains more comfort in this offense? So let's start with the positives because I'm a positive guy. I, I think the positives from what I saw on Sunday was him aggressively attacking man coverage down the field, right? When they got man, whether it was on the crossers, the vertical to Nelly, like he's going after it and he's reading the leverage of the defenders. He's reading the help. Where's the safety? You know, they're, they're single high. Okay. Now they're spinning it. And now it's one-on-one -on, -one on the outside with Aguilar against Witherspoon. And I, I'm giving my guy a chance. Like yeah. you said, taking some more chances down the field. I'm giving my guy a chance on this one or the crossing routes. Not everybody on those crossing routes was wide open. Like some of those guys had some tight coverage, but he was reading out the safeties and realizing, okay, I got a chance to make a, a little bit of a shot here. So he's taking those plays down the field and he's aggressively attacking it. I, I like that, that mindset because he's got to have a little bit of that attacking mindset. But I think where you're getting into that interception, and this is what I've written basically two weeks in a row now is you got to balance it, right? Like you still have to know your limitations. Like you still have to know that you're Mac Jones. And I don't mean that as like a, a, a shot. I just mean you have to know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. So, okay, throwing like a touch over route, like when, you know, Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers comes across on the crosser and you're just going to put it in a good spot for them with a little bit of touch and a little bit of zip. And those are the types of throws he's great at. Like those are the ones that we want to see every single Sunday. The, the deep ball to Aguilar, no problem with that throw whatsoever because unlike the one against Miami where Holland was creeping over towards that side, he – the safety in the middle of the field was not going to be a factor on some sort of ricochet on that play. So that I, I, I thought was a better decision and a better throw to Nelson uh, to make that throw. I think the concern that you have with the Parker one is twofold. One, Alex Highsmith comes off his edge and he's unblocked and he blows him up as he's throwing the football. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as he, you know, takes that contact, like you said, the ball sailed on him. So he doesn't necessarily have that, rocket launcher that a Josh Allen or a Justin Herbert has or a Patrick where, Mahomes where he whistled it over somebody's ear. Right. You know, or right. something like so that. So it's it's too high. It's covered too, right? And the Mike linebacker is running the shoot with Devontae Parker in like a Tampa two structure. Ideally, if you put that right over the guy the linebacker's head on a silver platter for Devontae Parker, that should actually probably be a completion. Like it, it's there yeah. for him to do it. But because the pressure comes off his left side and he's hit as he throws, he doesn't have that 
off-platform velocity, where he's just going to let it go off the back foot and have a straight-line zip to his receiver. So instead, the ball sails on him. I know everybody – not everybody, but some people got on Parker. Like, when you watch it back on the All-22, like, there's no chance for Parker to catch that ball. That ball. Nope. No. Nope. Maybe he can play defense and, and a little bit better and, and try to make sure it's not a pick. But the odds of him actually catching that ball are like 5%. You know, so it, it really isn't on him that he didn't make a better play on the football. That ball's got to be, if you're going to make that throw, that ball's got to be a dart. It's got to be a straight line right over the head of the linebacker and into Devontae Parker's catch radius. And, and it just wasn't that type of throw. So in some respects, you say, okay, that's physical. Like, uh oh, like he can't make that type of throw in an NFL game. In other respects, when you look at the route combination, Jacoby Myers is really the guy they're trying to get the football to in that situation. It's third down, they run yeah. the vertical clear out. They have Nelson Aguilar running a little under route underneath the defense to suck up the shallow zone. And then Jacoby is like wide open right in the middle of the two zones. And that's the throw that they want Mac to get to and just take the layup and move the chains. Like it's okay sometimes to take the layup. So I think in some respects it's hard because the Nelson Aguilar throw doesn't happen without an aggressive mindset. That touchdown doesn't happen without the aggressive mindset, but the Parker interception happens because he's being a little bit too aggressive. So he's really got to find a way to toe that line. Now the last thing I'll say about the pick, his, his whole process is really sped up by the pressure. So I don't know if he really is going to get to Myers anyways, just because like, it's tough for him. Like he's He's about to get whacked. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking off the coverage by looking down the left sideline first. And he's trying to hold the cut, the zone on that side of the field so that he can come over back to Jacoby. And by the time he gets his eyes back over here, like, you know, Highsmith just like cleans him out. So it's like, I, I don't know if he really had the time to really, you know, reset, hit Jacoby and let's play more football. But ideally that gets picked up next time. And Trent Brown doesn't get duped by Heisman. Trent Brown had a really good game outside of that, but that one play he got, he got the okie doke by Heisman. You hope that that throw is just a completion to Jacoby for 10 yards the chains move and we keep playing. And I thought that the Devontae Parker interception in week one was a little bit like that too, where he had Johnny on the underneath crosser open over the middle of the field. And he took a little bit of a chance instead. And it's like, sometimes in this offense with this skill group, with this quarterback, you just got to take the layups. Like you just got to take the easy ones and keep your offense on the field and keep moving the chains and not turn the football over. But if you get the ch- chances like with Nelson, where, you know, the safety spins and the safety towards his side of the field is going into the middle of the field. So you're throwing against the rotation, which is what you want to do. Like there's no way that that safety is going to spin to the middle of the field and then go all the way out to the sideline and Nelson Aguilar. He's not going to get there to be any sort of threat over the top of the defense. So that throw is a lot less dangerous. It's really just like a, it's a 60, 40, like to your receiver. If it doesn't, you know, get, if it's not caught for a touchdown, it's probably an incomplete pass, unlike the one against Miami. So I feel for Mac because that's knowing your limitations and learning that balance is really, really difficult thing to do. And, you know, you just have to, you have to know when to take your chances. And, and I think the Parker one was one where he got a little bit greedy or a little bit sped up maybe by the pressure and just put the ball in harm's way. It's like, got to know when to hold them. 
when to fold them, you know, yeah. all, all, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. Real, I, just quick note on the offensive line before we transition to defense, because we, we got to hop up out of here and listen to some assistant coaches talk in a second. But I think that's one of the interesting things is that the offensive line, I mean, outside of a couple of miscommunications in, in week one that led to sacks. And then obviously um, you got Trent Brown caught up right there that led to a free runner. Uh, Cole Strange had one, I think, where uh, he, he he got beat for, for a pressure and a hit. But by and large, I feel like the, the protection's been pretty good. And, and I think that was one thing, that he had so much time to survey on a couple of those third down conversions that he that Mac Jones had uh, on, on Sunday. And I feel like that's what's made some of the misses a little bit more like, huh, like, I thought you had a little bit more time than that. Though, though the play you're talking about with Parker, yeah, he, he had a guy coming right at him, ready to smoke him. But, but I think that that's one thing that I've been pleasantly surprised at is that, okay, like when you when you look at it, the offensive line hasn't been as bad, I think, as a lot of people were afraid of. And it looks like they're starting to rediscover that identity on the ground with the way they've been running the football. Cole Strange, he really bounced back in week two. After after some of those issues that he had in week one, I, I really like what he's doing. But look, as I, I mean, we could we could do this all day and, and and talk about offensive line play. I don't I don't want to I don't want to take that away from you. I'm sorry, but I want to <laughs> talk defense because look, one of the most pleasant surprises on this team so far to me has been Dietrich Wise Jr. And he was a guy that I thought the way that they were attacking the edge position, or rather, not really attacking the edge position in. Um, you know, free agency. They didn't bring in Trey Flowers. They didn't do that whole thing. It made me think that that, he, that Wise was going to bump out there and play more of a role. And lo and behold, that's what happened. He quickly looked like the best option aside from Judon, and he's been playing like it so far. I mean, how big is that to have him fill in, like to be able to to jump in and out, and particularly to play so well on the outside? thus far this year and really take some of that heat off of Judon on the other side. It's really interesting to see his snap count. I'm not like a big snap count guy. Like I don't nerd out about that too often, but uh, my, my buddy Alex Barth loves to nerd out about snap counts. So he's texting me all day yesterday, like, Oh, uh, you know, this is crazy. Like they haven't done this with alignment since Will Fork, like yada, yada, yada. He was out on the field, even in Miami for like almost every snap or something like that, like in the Miami heat. So they're not even rotating Dietrich wise at this point. And rightfully so to some degree, because he's playing his ass off, honestly, you know, he's playing out of his mind right now. And I think the other thing that's interesting that I, I hope I can get this question into him this week is did the captainship thing, like did that light Spark a it for you? Yeah. Like did that, like something like it, it almost feels like he, and I don't, and you know, I'm an X's and O's guy. I don't like to really get into the psyche of players too much, but it almost feels like he is playing with more purpose, like more energy, more purpose. And maybe that has to do with the fact that he feels like he's a leader of this team now. He's a captain and he needs to take his game up a level and kind of set the tone. Uh, for some of these younger players, for Christian Barmore, for a Josh Uche, for you know some of these younger guys that are are working in on the defense, if they see the captain of the defense on the defensive line on the very first first two run plays from scrimmage by Pittsburgh, and he's in the backfield making things happen, uh, maybe that 
is contagious. And maybe that kind of takes over a different life. And I think that there, there's some truth to that. Now, the thing that I think has really been impressive about him is his run defense, which wasn't a strength of his game for a very, yeah. very long time. But his ability to defeat blockers now has gotten a lot, lot better. And I think that struggle that he had early on in his career is that he's a really, really tall guy. So to be able to leverage blocks in the trenches at 6-6 is really difficult. And I think that's the problem that he had, especially in a heavy two-gapping system, was he's just getting pushed off the ball because he wasn't the lower man. But now I think what he's figuring out is, okay, you know, if I use my quickness and my length and I, I kind of swim guys or I get into guys' edges quickly, I, I can be a little bit more effective than just trying to take guys on, you know, head on in a, in a two gapping type of technique. So I, I think that that's what they're doing a little bit more with him and it's working. Uh, I, hopefully he's able to keep it up through the course of the season, but it, there, there's a different, I don't know. It's just a different vibe from him. He's, this just, year. Acting, he's just acting different. As, yeah. As, as, really as they say these days. Yeah. And real, real quick, before we get into my last question, I just want to ask, how do you feel about your boy, Mac Wilson, finally getting some big time reps? What's up? And, so and immediately showing up with, with that, that tip drill. So it's funny because in week one against Miami, he had, uh, I think, one or two run stops where he just kind of came right through the line of scrimmage and, and really showed off that burst or that explosiveness and, and, and blew up the play. And, and then he makes the play on the ball for the interception for Jalen Mills. And it's like, wait a second, when's the last time a Patriot linebacker was able to read out play action put his foot in the ground, change directions, and get underneath the slant route all in one motion, essentially, and be that in a dive and get his hands on the ball and be kind of an athlete out there. Like, no offense to Jawan Bentley and, like, Dante Hightower, who's all-time great Patriot, but it's been a while since I've seen a Patriot linebacker make an athletic play like that. You know, that was a truly athletic play and coverage. And I, I look at their – matchup this week with Lamar or when unfortunately Josh Allen comes to town in a few months or something like that and Mac Wilson is the type of player on defense that you need against those types of guys somebody that's fast that's athletic that can make plays I know Najee Harris got him uh, which was disappointing if he made that tackle on Najee Harris then that was like the game ball right there right so uh, and that, then the that ridiculousness was... that Harris did to Devin McCourty like yeah. in, in just like in in one motion, just hurdling him like that, I was yeah. like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. So Najee Harris is a pretty talented guy, so I, I'll give him a pass on that one. But when you start to get into some of these plans against Lamar, uh, against Kyler, you know, in, in December, against uh, Josh Allen, obviously, uh, they're going to need a guy uh, like Mac Wilson out there because he is one of their fastest linebackers easily might probably is their fastest linebacker. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm glad that the coaching staff is finally seeing it because we in preseason, you know, he's out there in like the fourth quarter. He's not getting in with the starters until like the second half or this or early in the second or uh, late in the second quarter, excuse me. And we're, we're pulling our hair out like, Oh my gosh, no, like they're, they're going to miss the boat on Mac Wilson. Like they're not going to see that this guy's really talented, but uh, it took two weeks and now they kind of are figuring it out that he's one of their best linebackers. So I'm, it's great to see and that interception. I, I might've been a little bit too loud in the press box. Cause I was just so excited that the Patriots finally have a linebacker that can make 
something, make a play like that in coverage, like can finally impact some of those throws over the middle and make a difference in the passing game. It was after the the Panthers uh, preseason game. We were in the press box until like one in the morning talking about talking about this specifically yeah. just like oh my god they're gonna sit up there gonna start jelani tavai which by the way <laughs> he did he did some stuff in week two but i think that like that that's the point make him a guy who comes off the bench and plays a depth role for you and then it's like right. okay jelani tavai run stop oh he got a sack look at that okay we'll go with that but but have mac wilson start the game please let's do yeah. that and, and 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 here we go but look last question Lamar Jackson, I've been I've been having this game circled on on my calendar for a while. That dude's probably going to come in and put on one hell of a show because he's awesome. I cannot wait to see that guy play in person. I correctly predicted that the Patriots were going to need only needed to score seventeen points to beat the Steelers. I, I said that in the on, on this podcast like the, the couple of days before. I was like, if you get to seventeen points, you'll win. Boom! They get to seventeen points and they win. How many points are they going to have to score this week to stop to, to beat that dude? So they played Lamar. I want to say twice now, right? Twenty nineteen when he smoked him in Baltimore in his MVP season, and they played him in twenty twenty uh, with the COVID Patriot team. That and was and that hellacious rainstorm at the yeah, end, where Bill Belichick did the rain dance. Yeah, there's a lot of rain. I'll, I'll give Lamar that. But I, I do think that what the Patriots have been able to do against Lamar in that 2020 matchup might carry over a little bit into this one. Now, not they need a healthy Kyle Duggar. Otherwise, yeah, that's a huge loss. You know, he's been, was a huge, huge part of that game plan in 2020, and he's exactly the type of guy that you need that runs a 4-4 and can hit, right? Like, you need a guy like that against Lamar Jackson. He's been one but of your I best think, players. Yeah, but I think what they've been able to do against Lamar, it was a lot of zone, obviously just making him sit there in the pocket and, and go through his reads and play quarterback instead of running around all over the place on you. I think that they can have some of that success still. Now, how many points are they going to need? I still think you need to be in the high 20s at, at the minimum. Uh, to really be able to put up with it. Cause he, he's, he's like at this point of his career, you know, he's like Kevin Durant, like you can hope to hold him to his season average, but you can't, you're not going to shut him down. Like he, you're not going to walk out of there with uh, holding LeBron James to 10 points in, in a big game, right? Like he's going to get his, and I think Lamar is going to make plays and he's going to get his, but the question is, is, you know, can you keep it from being 40, right? Like, can you, can you keep him to 24 or 27, I think the Patriots have the right idea in terms of the game plan of how to do it. And what they were doing is they basically like inverted the defense where they had the safeties as the edge rushers. And then they had the edge rushers at the second level of the defense and they kind of flipped it. And that way there, uh, the safeties were had an outside contain on everything. Right. So if you, whether he ran or if it was a, a design quarterback run, it was, Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips kind of funneling it back inside. And that game plan really worked. Now, Adrian Phillips played last week, so it looks like he's going to be okay uh, from that rib injury scare. The the Kyle Duggar thing is going to be massive. Like if he can't play in this game, then that really changes the way that you kind of game plan, I think, uh, pretty significantly. But I like their approach. I, I think that 
that's the way you got to do it. Now, the X factor to me for Baltimore is this dude, Rashad Bateman, who is like one of my favorite receivers coming out of the draft a few years ago, but then he gets hurt in his rookie season and he has one of those. Baltimore has had terrible luck drafting receivers too uh, over the course of the Lamar's career, like almost arguably worse than the Patriots have been at drafting receivers to a degree. Now I think Hollywood versus Nikhil Harry, they probably get the nod there, but he doesn't even get a second contract. He ends up getting traded. Uh, Miles Boinkin was their other big top 100 pick. That's a bust. He's actually was on the Steelers roster and the Patriots played Pittsburgh on Sunday. Rashad Bateman is a difference maker. Uh, you know, he took that slant, you know, 80 yards to the house against Miami and Xavier Howard last mm-hmm. week. And he's a really explosive, dynamic player. But I think more so than his ability to take slant 70 yards to the house is his ability to get open on slants. He gives Lamar those outlets. Like he's a really good a dynamic route runner in the first five steps where he can create that instant separation and let Lamar get the football out of his hands because teams like the blitz Lamar. I don't think the Patriots will blitz him that much. I think they'll go with the you know zone seven and, and uh, coverage type of game plan against him instead, but he is finding some security uh, outside of Mark Andrews. Who's like his other security blanket or safety blanket. Uh, he's finding that with Rashad Bateman as well. So he's a big time X factor to me and how they uh, plan versus him and stuff like that will be critical because he's a really, really good young player. And I'm glad that the injury, his rookie season didn't derail his entire career. Like we've seen with some guys with the Patriots in the past, and he seems to have figured it out uh, in his second season. So he's the X factor to me. How do they cover him? Uh, How do they keep him at bay? Because Lamar's looking for him, and they've made some really big plays. I think he had a like forty or forty-five yard touchdown against the Jets in Week One yeah. on a on a, a deep post, and then he catches the slant against Miami against the Blitz. So yeah, he's somebody that's a, a problem, and they're going to have to figure out a way to stop him. They are going to have a whole lot of potential problems out yeah. there. We haven't even talked about Mark Andrews because, well, everybody knows about Mark Andrews. But yo, Evan. Thank you so much for joining me, man. And I'm um, hoping that, you know, hey, hey, you know, we can get through the audio issues on this one. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll make it we'll make it sound good, especially it, it, considering hopefully that I'm not sounding like I'm screaming at you through a wind tunnel. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yo, thank you so much for, for joining me, man. It's a treat, as always, talking football with you. And I will be seeing you at some point this week. I'll probably be out there on Wednesday and you'll definitely see me on Sunday. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad the fire alarm only lasted like five <laughs> minutes and we were able to get rid of that thing. But yeah, uh, we're next time we do this, we're going to have no fire alarms, no audio issues. Like the third time's a charm, but uh, we're, we're going to, we, we, we're going to need to like actually go to a studio or, or like right? maybe, maybe we'll just go do the show outside or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Do it in a car somewhere Yeah, you know, in the middle of the desert, nice and quiet, you know, like, <laughs> See, you can't even get that in the press box, which is the funny no. thing. Because like sometimes you you be in the press box and it's all good and it's all quiet, and then they're testing the PA system. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh my God, there's just nowhere safe. Anyway, man, catch you next time. Thanks, Gary.